Hi, I'm Jennifer Ackerman Haywood, and you're listening to the Craft Sanity Podcast, an interview show all about art, craft, and creativity. Well, if you couldn't express yourself, how would you de-stress yourself? And if you couldn't make and build and sing, and knit and paint and dance and spin, would you go crazy? Well, if you're going crazy, here's something amazing. Happy 2019, folks. I'm trying to start the year off right and podcast because really, I really want to do more podcasting this year. So here we go. It's New Year's Day and I'm back in the groove here. And I'm bringing a conversation to you that I recorded over the summer, actually. So I've been sitting on this one for a while, but for good reason. I wanted to put this podcast out close to the time that my guest is going to be speaking to the Weavers Guild here in Grand Rapids. So I know if you're somewhere halfway around the globe, that makes no difference to you, but that's kind of the method to my madness over here. I am going to jump into this conversation with Burl Barkis, and she is a fantastic person. She is somebody that doesn't come at handmade business trying to make as much money as she can for herself. She comes at handmade business from the perspective of someone who's trying to build community and create opportunities for others. I met Burl when she was working as a pharmacist and she had ordered some looms from my Etsy shop. And so I went over to deliver a peg loom to her. I went to the pharmacy where she was working and we had a conversation by the front counter and with me most conversations are not short but she was working so I tried to keep myself in check and I don't remember how in depth we got but uh, it wasn't long after that when I heard that Burl had taken just this seed of an idea that she had and was completely taking off with it she and her husband Eric created a business together and they were inspired by their adult daughter who has autism and it was really important to both of them to create some meaningful work for their daughter and others with developmental disabilities out of this desire ability weavers was created so I'm going to bring Burl on here and let her tell you the story of Ability Weavers and this really beautiful, beautiful business she's created here in West Michigan. So let's get to it. Well, Burl, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to finally get a chance to talk to you. I know we've had some scheduling conflicts, and I'm so glad it worked out. And I'm really excited about you coming and speaking to the Weavers Guild coming up here in Grand Rapids. So this is really exciting. So I think we should start out by just having you talk a little bit about Ability Weavers and explain what it is and what you do. Sure. Ability Weavers is a business that I began in 2016, but our business is different than than most other businesses in that it is really a social enterprise. Our mission is to provide meaningful employment that includes adults with autism and other developmental disabilities. And we do that through the art of weaving. I've taught my weavers how to weave, and they come in and make our products that we sell in our store. We make everything from rugs to towels. 
and they're lovely. I know when I visited, I bought a couple towels. They're just so soft and they're beautiful. And I've already told my family, if something spills that would stain, you are not to wipe it up with these beautiful towels. Grab something <laughs> well, else. You. And if you can explain your inspiration, because there really is a beautiful story behind why you were motivated to start this enterprise. Absolutely. Our oldest daughter is 27 years old, but as she was growing up, we realized that she had autism. And with autism, we did not know what the, what she would be doing with her life and how she would find things to fill her time and to find purpose. And that was always a question that we had, especially at age 26 is when kids age of the school system and there becomes this void of things to do or valuable things to do. So we decided to create some type of business or something that she could do on a regular basis. Weaving then became something that kind of came to me as, as I was looking for hobbies and crafts. I like to do things with my hands and be busy. And I began to learn to weave. I quickly realized that this was something that she would be able to do. And then it developed into, well, if she could do it, other people could too. Did she take to it right away? She did. Now, you know, weaving is one of those skills. It can be very labor intensive and very intense, but it can be very relaxing. And it took time for her to learn how to do it. But it's a very repetitive pattern of, of creating. And that was something she took to. And she enjoyed as, as she learned how to do it. And it was a good thing for her. And does she have anything that she specializes in making? Like, does she like making towels or rugs or what? Is, or does she just you know, weave anything? You know what? She's pretty much a rug girl. She, <laughs> she <laughs> likes to do rugs. Rugs are the materials that we use are heavier duty. So it doesn't take a lot of fine motor skills. And again, it's very repetitive. Towels and some of our baby blankets and the finer weaving takes more dexterity. Mm-hmm. And so the rugs are kind of her specialty. Yeah. And that's the thing that's really cool about your, your shop is that you have weavers that have all different you know levels of challenges that they're dealing with. And you've been able to find a job for everyone. I've seen the weavers in action and they are fantastic. They have great selvages. I mean, their edges look great. And, um, and I think sometimes people, you know, they have, especially if they don't have a friend or family member that is, you know, working with a challenge, you know, that maybe prevents them from going out and getting a, a more, you know, typical job, you know, in the job market. I mean, this is a, a very creative um, business that you've set up that's doing just a, a wonderful thing, um, not only for the shoppers who come in, you know, because they, they get these great products that they can buy, they can see how they're made, but to have created jobs for people that might not be able to find easily find a job somewhere else. And they're doing so well at it. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't, understand that this just because a person has autism does not mean that they're totally unemployable and can't do anything. You're not overtly pushing back against a stigma. I mean, you don't have a sign in the window that says everyone can right. do, you know, but but when people, all, all people have to do is walk in and watch for about five or 10 minutes and you get quite an education from these people that are wonderful. Yeah, we hope so. That's that's what we want. We re, we really focus on the ability, and that's why our name says Ability Weaver. Exactly. We focus on the ability, not the disability. And we are integrated. So we've got those with and without challenges working side by side. Some things I don't have 
my employees are called my weavers. And some things I don't have them do for safety reasons. So I have a lot of volunteers that help us. And we've grown so much from, from our daughter learning to weave to now we have 10 hired weavers. And everybody gets paid the same wage. All of our weavers get paid the same amount per hour. So it's a real job. They come in for their shift. And then we also have a team of volunteers. I have currently have nine very dedicated volunteers that will come in and help with sewing because there is a lot of sewing involved with the hemming. Right. Um, they'll do some of the more, the more uh, things that require the, the very definite skills that maybe my weavers aren't strong in. And so is this a part-time job for the weavers or does anyone work full-time or how does that work? It is part-time for everybody. I find that every, most of my team, two to three and maybe four hours of working at a time is about all anybody wants to weave. Even, even when I sit down to weave, if I sit there for three hours, that's a long time to weave. And so most of my weavers work. It's also probably protecting everyone from repetitive injuries like, you know, uh, carpal tunnel. And I've had segments in my life where about, you know, when I started weaving in my early 20s, uh, we're weaving on a floor loom. I would get carried away sometimes and sit there for six hours. And my uh-huh. wrists started to kind of scream at me. So I think that Absolutely. that time is probably just, you know, that sweet spot where you can get into the, the zen of the weaving um, but then you're ready to have your lunch break or dinner break and t- switch to something else. So that's absolutely that's a wise move. Which, which makes me think too, when we take breaks, our break time doesn't always look like everybody else's break time. This week we were doing the hokey pokey on break because sometimes we need to just get up and wiggle around. Yeah. And it's a fun way. It's a social thing too, because everybody likes to be with their friends when they work, you know, right. it's more fun if you absolutely. enjoy the people you're with. Absolutely. And so we work on building those social relationships too. And that has been just a really neat thing to watch. Your daughter's been weaving now for about two years. Is or Did she start before 2016? Nope. We started with uh, her learning to weave in the spring of 2016. And then we opened our store in 2016 in July. Okay. And you actually started this in your basement originally, having other <laughs> weavers come over. Is that how it started? Yeah, we did. We started what we called weaving camp because I didn't know what she'd be doing for spring break. And uh, we decided, if I'm going to teach her, I might as well teach somebody else. So I had four uh, young ladies come in and had fun. Just We, we made everything from potholders to little uh, peg loom purses and then to the rugs. At the end of the week, everybody went home with a rug that they had made. Oh, nice. And it was just a neat thing, you know. And did you know you were on to something right there after weaving camp? I did. It was just amazing to me that each one of them, their their abilities or inabilities, they were all able to do the task of weaving. And what does that feel like for you to have been able to create something for your daughter that now is also helping other people and just enriching your community in Lowell? It's been amazing because we didn't really know what we were getting into when we started. We thought this was just going to be a hobby thing. You know, we were going to make some potholders and just have some fun. And it very quickly took off and turned into a business that uh, we really didn't expect the growth to be where we are today. 
And compared to, I don't know how big your basement is because I've never been there, but you are in a, a big space in Lowell in a gorgeous old building. And um, you. maybe you can tell us a little bit about that. So um, how long did you go spend in the basement working with the, with the weavers <laughs> before you found this really cool building? You know, it happened very quickly. We, we were looking for office space for my husband and, uh, God directs our paths in amazing ways sometimes because we ended up with a storefront in a retail area in historic Lowell. Uh, it's a storefront with about, I think I've got 1,900 square feet. And in that space, we have 11, I think I've got 12 rooms now in my store for the various products that we make. But that space also encompasses our retail area and uh, the set of 12 looms that uh, my weavers weave on. And then we also started some weave your own classes. So other people can come in and learn to weave. We offer twice a week, actually, on Thursdays and Saturdays. And it's just another way of us to support what we do. Because we are a business, we're not a, we're not a technical 5013C nonprofit. We're set up as a business. So we have to balance balance all those finances but the classes started out of people saying could you teach me to weave (laughs) like well why not and that turned into another source for us to support what we do and so so explain a little bit about how that works so if if people want to come in and learn to weave you have the looms pre-warped which is magical i've never heard a weaver say i cannot wait to warp my loom it's so exciting um most people (laughs) say, I can't wait till I'm done warping my loom so I can get to the weaving part because that's the part that right. most of us like. Explain if, a little bit of how that works and how much it costs. Well, a lot of the people that come to us for the Weave Your Own classes have never even seen a loom or touched a loom before. So this is really an introductory class, I guess we would call it, where they come in and just learn the basics of weaving. We do our Weave Your Own class on a simple two-harness loom meaning that it only has two treadles or two pedals. And with that, it's, it's the simplest form on a floor loom that someone could weave on. Mm-hmm. So it's come in, no experience. You go home with a beautiful product that you choose your fabrics, you choose your design, and I'm there to, de- to help you through the process to really experience what weaving is all about. And yeah, they get to skip the warping process. But I would add, if there's those people that love to warp looms, please call me. Yeah, really. <laughs> I think all of us. Warping looms. Yeah, all of us, especially you, because you're warping 12 looms. Yeah, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, I think all of, we would, those people are highly sought after, people who love to warp. <laughs> well, and when we set up our looms, we do, for those who weave, we warp sectionally, meaning we put on a lot of warp, a lot of strings that are on the loom. So when we set up a loom, we'll get, 30 to 40 rugs off of one loading. Now that doesn't mean enough. (laughs) That's a lot of rugs. Yeah. So it's, it is a big process. It takes on our simple looms. We've gotten pretty speedy, but we warp a loom in about, about four hours. Of course, our towel loom and our larger looms take longer than that. Yeah. And I think that's part of the process that people often forget when they are like, Oh, how long does it take you to weave? It's like, well, mm-hmm. it might be an hour or two, to, depending on what you're making, plus that four to six to maybe eight hours of prep time Absolutely. before you even get to it. So if people want to come in with their friends, 
how many people can you accommodate in a learn to weave session? Typically, we do four people at a time. However, we can have one person come in, two, three, four, up to four people. And in that session, you can weave either a rug or a table runner. And it takes about the same amount of time to do each of those. So I have three looms set up for rugs of all the same size and one set up for a table runner. Okay. And and so people spend about an hour or how long do they, two hours? How, do, how long do you have them? No, it, it takes start to finish. It averages and it varies a little bit with each person. It takes about three and a half hours start to finish. So it's a good girls night out and we've had... People as young as six years old weave a rug and as old as about 87. Wow. Good for <laughs> you. That's really cool. And how much do you charge they, for your classes? Sure. It's $45. And that does include absolutely everything that you walk home with your rugs. I've had other weavers say, how do you do that? How can you do that for just $45? Fortunately, many of our materials are donated to us. We get a lot of materials from the furniture industry in Grand Rapids. There is a textile mill in Quebec, Canada that actually sends us materials. And then we also use uh, some yarns from a local carpet manufacturer. So we don't have to purchase a lot of the materials. Of course, we still have expenses, but the price that my rugs reflect is that price of labor and overhead at my store. But all of our profits from everything we do is used only to provide meaningful employment for people of all abilities. And I know that we talked about this previously, and one of the things that, um, you know, it's a business and everything, but you have basically donated your time as well. (laughs) That is still the case. I'm there about 40 hours a week, and uh, 100% of my time is donated. I, you know, feel so strongly about the need for this type of opportunity that to me, it's worth it. Do you feel like it's where you wanted it to be? Like you're, you're at that thing you envision now? Absolutely. And, and again, it's, it's really beyond what I had imagined it to be. We thought that every weaver would need a, a volunteer kind of standing over them, showing them what to do. But my weavers now have to explain to the volunteers what they do. And they will, my weavers will explain it in proper terms. You know, they, they know what the parts of the loom are called. They know what they're doing and what needs to be done. And often it's them instructing the volunteers instead of the other way around. I, that's awesome, though. That's, that's really awesome. And you get volunteers from local colleges and universities, correct? You have students who are training in physical therapy and other things. Maybe you could talk a little bit yeah. about who you're attracting as far as the volunteers go? A lot of my volunteers are actually retirees from the community. So many of my volunteers come to me and just say, hey, you know, I'm looking for something that that means something. I want to do something with my life. I'm done with my career, but I'd like to share my skills. And half of those have no weaving experience, more than half. I'd say almost all of them have no weaving experience, but we we show them. The other pool of people that that do help us are we... I have a student in occasionally and uh, sometimes from Grand Valley Occupational Therapy Program. They will send their students on an internship or what they call field work. And they spend a a series of weeks with us learning how to help people, even though weaving isn't their forte, but if occupational therapy is their 
you know, their training, they can learn how to help people. How do I support a person that maybe has limited vision or who has very short attention span? How can I help them to function to their capacity in this environment? And that, that helps train them and it also helps support us too. But occupational therapists have a very close tie with weaving, which has been interesting for me to learn about too. Yeah, so it's so you've actually created uh, an opportunity for college students to learn, which probably yeah. was not part of the original plan when you're in your basement trying <laughs> to figure out how to teach your daughter and her friends how to weave. Absolutely, that's, <laughs> that's right. You know what? I guess the other thing I would like to add too is I, I always say that that my weavers, my employees, they need what we do, but even more so is the community needs what we do. Because because we are a retail store also, we have everybody that comes through Lowell will stop in our shop and see what's going on. And not only are we educating our weavers about how to weave, we're also educating the community as to how could I help provide employment or just support this group of people. Our weavers are very skilled and they are so capable of other types of employment that we hope we inspire others to, you know, bring in somebody to help you in your shop, bring in somebody to help you in your business. Because once a task is learned, they are amazing um, employees. I'm just amazed by their dedication and their skills. And I really appreciated the team effort too. They cheer each other on. If somebody gets upset, they all kind of swarm to that loom and, support people. I mean, it was amazing. I, I just thought, geez, I wish every work environment was this supportive. And, um, <laughs> and you had a young lady that was at the first loom and I, her name is escaping me. She was very, very friendly. I walked in, she greeted me right away. She asked me if I had any questions. And I just thought, well, wow, this is, this person is ready to be a, a, a receptionist at a major company here. I mean, it was just so, because <laughs> how many times have you walked into a business and the people don't even look up? I mean, it was just an all-around very pleasant experience, and um, and I think it's also great what you're doing to just forward the the craft of weaving, you know, because well, thank I, you. So everything's so automated, and to walk into a place in 2018 and see 12 looms set up is pretty fantastic. I should add too that our looms are not all small looms. No. We do have large looms as well, yeah. and more complex looms. So they they start on the the, the simpler rug looms and work up to more harnesses, more complex weaving. That's what they work up to. And then we also have a very large loom. We have a 60-inch Peter Collingwood Harrisville design rug loom that they, they work up to being able to work on too. And so we can now create rugs that are up to five feet wide. And we have done, we've done rugs as long as 27 feet. Wow. So is that a custom order that came in? Yes, it was. A, a, a lady would ask me to, or ask us, to create a runner for her Victorian home. She wanted to put an authentic rug down the staircase. Oh, wow. And uh, wanted it to be all one color. And I said, well, I never say no, but, uh, I'm, you know, I don't know if I'll have your color because, of, again, we use donated materials, to which we did receive materials from the furniture manufacturer within just a few days. Um, again, God provides for us abundantly. It's just amazing. Yeah. And uh, we did we did create 
a runner for her 27 feet long. Wow. And how many weavers contributed to that piece? I, I intentionally put several weavers on it. And now because of the, the length and the quality that it had to be, I had to be a little choosy, but I had about four different weavers working on that rug um, from start to finish. That's fantastic. Plus our volunteers who hemmed and made it, made it all come together at the end. And how, what was the re- reaction of the customer? <laughs> she was very, very pleased and even sent us pictures that I, I believe are still on our website and our Facebook page of, of that rug in, installed on her stairway. And it looked beautiful. And that's just Am I allowed a, to say that? <laughs> but you're definitely allowed to say that. And here, and that's the thing that's so cool, too, is that people can come in and, and ask for a particular thing. And you guys try to make that work and fill orders. Right. So it's not just finished products that you're selling. You're also doing commissions. And can people do that long distance on your... I think I saw something on the website. Um, yes. Can, people can inquire about that. Yes. Absolutely. We, we do, for a while, about 50% of our business was, was custom orders. And it, it's always a little a bit of a challenge because you have to read the person's mind. And, but people will send in a picture or bring in a pillow or something that they want to coordinate with. And together we choose fabrics or we choose them and show them and say, hey, this is what we've come up with. And then, then we agree upon, hey, these are the right colors. And they explain the design they'd like. And we go with that and, and make their custom order. And we have done long-distance ones. One of our largest rugs went to California, and uh, she chose her colors. We sent it out. And, of course, I always include a picture prior to them making their payment so that they know that they're receiving what they want. Right. But we do ship all over the country, too. That's really great. And do you have an Etsy shop as well, or a shop right on your website? Yes. Okay. Yep, through Etsy. Okay. And has that been pretty good for you guys? Have you gotten a lot of business through Etsy? It has. We're, it's growing, and we continue to build that, that business, but it has helped us reach, I think we're up to about 37 states that we have products in Nice uh, through, through the website, and, and occasionally somebody will say, hey, I sent a towel to Hawaii, so we get to park Hawaii, too. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> and so do you have any idea how many towels and rugs you guys have made? We do keep a tally on some things. We have made in the two and a half years that we have been in business or open at our storefront, we have made over 900 rugs. Wow. We have made over 500 towels and towels we just began making less than a year ago, just before the Christmas season. So we are, we found them to be very, very popular and then that does not count our baby blankets and our purses and uh, we have a lot of other items too, scarves, lots of giftable items. What street are you on in Lowell? We are at 215 Main Street, right in downtown Lowell. And do you know the history of your building? What was it before you guys moved in? Well, immediately before us, uh, there was a glass designer. A, she did a lot of fused art and mm-hmm. uh, glass house designs was in there. But the history on the building our building is was built in 1880, I believe, and it was used as a boarding house in the upstairs, and the downstairs has been everything from gift shops to crafts to, I believe it was a pharmacy at one point. So it's it's got quite the history on the building, too. Yeah, and the upstairs, so you have the upstairs, the 1,900 square feet, is that just the bottom floor, like the workspace That's that you're the using? Bottom. Okay, and so you own the building, yep. correct? That's your building now? 
Yes, we, uh, we do own the building. I know we talked, when I visited, we had talked a little bit about, you know, kind of the what's next and, you know, how do you grow and what do you, you know, how do you do this? But do you see Ability Weavers getting to be bigger than it is right now in the West Michigan area? We would love to see it get bigger. We, you know, it's always a challenge as with any business is how do you grow and how do you keep up with the growth? We are busting out of the seams of, at our at our shop. We love we love to grow, but we love our location. We don't intend to move anywhere, mm-hmm. but maybe we'll inspire someone else to take up the the torch and and uh, start similar things. And you know, it doesn't have to be weaving. Even you know, we're hoping that other people will be inspired to start something, even small. You know, how can I help one person that might otherwise not have a job? How can I employ one person? Because if we all employed one person, if every business employed one person mm-hmm. that had different abilities, it would be an amazing impact because there are so few jobs for this group of people. I've read that the, the statistics with those with, with disabilities or developmental disabilities, including autism, is the unemployment rate is about 85%. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we, way too we'd high. like to touch that statistic, even if it's in some small way. Yeah. And do you have any idea, like in West Michigan, like how many people fall into the category of that, that 85%? I mean, do you have any idea, like when people age out? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I don't know a number. I do know that when I spoke with my daughter's principal, I said, you know, where do your students go? Because she was in a program that taught job skills. And I said, where do they get jobs? Where, you know, what's, what's the outcome here? They've been in school till they're 26 years old. Where are they working? You know, that's the, the goal, right? Right. And uh, her answer to me was some, you know, push carts at a, at a major grocery chain or uh, our greeters at a store or maybe wipe tables at a, at a restaurant. And then she stopped. She took a big breath and said, but I'll be honest with you, Burl. She said, a lot of them go home and watch TV. Mm. And my heart broke. Yeah. Because all of us, all of us need something to say when somebody says, what do you do? Right. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And we all need that. We all need purpose mm-hmm. and direction and to know that we're appreciated. What advice do you have? So if someone is listening out there and they're like, you know what? I have an idea. Or maybe they're thinking how their own business could incorporate some of these folks that are, you know, able to contribute so much, they just need an opportunity. What advice do you mm-hmm. have for starting that process? Well, I guess I'll start with, with supporting us. We are supported entirely by the sale of our products. So, you know, looking on our website, purchasing a product, maybe you have fabrics that you want to donate. Maybe you have um, talents that you'd like to come in and volunteer with some of our weavers and help us. We, we're always looking for people to help in that capacity. Bigger picture than that would be if you have a business, consider employing someone that has a different ability than you. Now, it may not be the easiest person to train, and you may have to very carefully select a person, but you can make a difference in that person's life, and they can do a tremendous job in your business. And that's really our heart, is that others will will do that. Maybe, again, just employ one person, um, but you will be amazed at the dedication of this group of people and the, the skills that they are entirely capable of. And maybe they'll enjoy, truly enjoy doing a, a repetitive task that maybe nobody else in your shop wants to do. Not that I advise 
giving them the bad job. Right. But it gives them but a job they, they can do and they might, yeah, they might like it a lot. Yeah. Yes. And, um, and I, I mean, I love weaving and I love that, that just over under base. I mean, some of the most basic weaving patterns are the most appealing to me just because it's, right. it's, you know, so yeah, I can relate very closely to your weavers and I understand why they like it so much. Now, if you're in a business owner and maybe you don't have anyone in your family or friend circle mm-hmm. who falls into the category of, of someone that you're, you know, you're trying to employ, you want to employ and help out. Right. Is reaching out to your local school district maybe a first step to trying to connect with students who might be aging out of a program and eligible to move on to something like the next step for them? Absolutely. And our local school district actually has a program starting in the high school years where they place people in jobs and they're looking for jobs. They're looking for places where they can teach them job skills. And so many of the businesses in our area will bring in a high school student and let them do those basic skills and volunteer in their 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 store or their their business uh, for different tasks. And that's a great way to help people learn skills. And often those are the very volunteers that then become permanent employees. Down the road, right. So you give them kind of an internship the road, right. and then, yeah, just like other job training opportunities. And that, yeah, and it, it really is um, a way to kind of have that social enrichment. And you, what did, you, you used the term earlier when you were describing your business. You said it's more of a social. Um, we're, inter- a, we're a social enterprise, technically, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and that's a, a wonderful term because it's not just about seeing how much money you can make. Because obviously you'd be drawing a really hefty salary if that was the case, right? You'd just be trying to sell <laughs> rugs to rich people. And you'd be like, yep, we're just targeting the um, Hollywood crowd. Um, yeah, and that, it, that was not our goal. No, it's not your I goal. Actually, I actually stepped away from a pharmacy career to do this to do this because I felt strongly. Yeah, and I, so how many years did you spend as a pharmacist? I have uh, been in the field of pharmacy for over 30 years. Were you trying to do both at one time, or how, how did you approach that? You know, I, I loved pharmacy, and I still do. I, I think it's a fantastic career. Uh, but I I wanted to, again, help help our daughter, help other people like her. And the business grew so quickly that within the first year, we realized I could not handle both a pharmacy career and a growing business um, in something I was passionate about. So you did it for a whole year, both jobs? <laughs> well, I was part time at the pharmacy. I okay, but still, but, but, but still, that's yeah, that's a lot. So, um, well, success sometimes leads you in a direction you didn't expect, you know. And so, this absolutely. has been very successful, and that's just absolutely wonderful. And I, I want to kind of circle back because I don't. The one thing that it makes this all the more amazing to me is that you weren't somebody who were weaving since birth. I mean, you didn't have. Um, <laughs> you weren't an expert weaver when. You started this. In fact, how much did you know about weaving when you decided to have a weaving camp? I think when I was 12, I made a potholder once and camp or something, you know, and I thought that was pretty cool. I look back and I remember that or, or weaving those God's eyes things with uh, Yeah, with I still uh, like that, to do those. I, I love, I love those. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I believe we started with uh, some of the Craft Sanity looms. I, I believe you're one of the, the first looms that we uh, started with. But yeah, I remember. That, I, not... I remember going to the pharmacy to deliver some. Yeah, I do remember. You did. That. Yeah, absolutely. We still have those, and every now and then I pull them out and make some more potholders and show my weavers how to do those. But uh, yeah, I don't have a, a long history in weaving. My 
as I said, I like to be busy. Mm-hmm. And uh, the joke at my, my house is that my husband said I needed to find a hobby. So I began to look for hobbies and I found twining, which is a form of weaving, more like a braided rug on a, on a frame. Mm-hmm. And uh, taught myself to twine. And I thought, you know, maybe my daughter would like to do this. <laughs> but very quickly realized it was beyond what she would be able to do because it needs too much finger dexterity. Yeah, and, and it's, uh, a slower, there, it's a slower process, too. <laughs> I know for I me... I pay anybody by the hour. Yeah, I, I kind of... I, I like twining, but I'm just like, this is just too slow. So it, I like to throw slow. the shuttle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but from there... So that was... That's what I started with, with, with weaving was the twining. And then through a, a, a story, which I won't go into, a floor loom fell in my lap. And uh, my husband said, you should just buy that. And I'm like, I don't know what to do with that. I don't even, I honestly, and that was in January of 2016. At that point, I knew nothing about weaving on a floor loom. Went home and looked on YouTube and read a lot of books and asked a lot of questions from people that are smarter than I in the field of weaving and uh, learned how, or decided that I think I could do that. So I went back and ended up making the gentleman a reasonable offer on his loom that was collecting dust and had very little purpose and uh, realized that it was something we could do. So, so my weaving career started in January of 2016 or even a little later than that. And then now you have 12 looms. (laughs) (laughs) Now we have 12 looms. Yeah. And we opened our store. We had our weaving camp that I told you about earlier that happened in April of 2016, where I was teaching others very quickly after picking up the loom in March Wow. And then opened our store in July, having never sold a rug, having never sold anything in the weaving world um, in July. And now, as I said, we've made over 900 rugs and countless other items. And so do do people, when you said, I'm opening a shop and I'm going to have people weaving and we're going to sell woven goods, but you had never sold anything before. Did people see your vision as clearly as you did? Or oh, I'm pretty you... sure they thought we were crazy. Yeah. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> and again, we didn't expect it to grow into the business it has. We really thought it would be a, a small scale, you know, help a few people have some fun and sell a few things. Yeah. But it has grown tremendously. Well, and it sounds like your husband was on board. In fact, he was kind of pushing you to get that first loom. And so he was, yeah. Has he, it sounds yep. like he, was he able to see the vision? Like, is, is this a vision that you shared with him from it the get go? Yeah. It is going back to that, you know, knowing that our daughter needed something. And there was always that in the back of our minds from a very young age, because in the school system, you think your, your, your child is always going to be a child, but your child does grow up. And we always wondered what's it going to look like in the future. So but the future is bright, and uh, I would encourage others to, you know, seek out maybe unusual paths for for your family members or friends that learn differently. Because be creative in, in your thought process. It's sometimes the answer doesn't look like the typical answer, because nothing about our daughter is typical. And that's why we created something that's not so typical. Didn't you sell out at Christmas, one of the year, like one of the um, seasons that you were? Yeah, our 
our first year, we actually, I had people coming in the week before Christmas and we, we could not make product fast enough. Now this year we've, we've grown and we've, we've learned what we need to do and what we need to create. So I don't think we'll be running out this year, but uh, you probably don't want to wait too long either. Well, Burl, I don't know if there's anything that I didn't ask you that you would like to have people know about you or your business. You know, I guess the only other, the only other thing that maybe I didn't make clear was, you know, that they can support us through their purchases. Um, that that really is how we support our business. I have a lot of people come into the shop and say, oh, this is such a cool thing you do and it's such a wonderful thing and keep doing it and walk out the door. Mm, yeah. And that's, you know, and that's, that's okay. I, I don't buy something in every shop I walk into too. Right. Uh, but it is, that's how we do what we do. It's through our, it's through our weave your own classes, which have been tremendously popular. It's through our custom orders and it's through our in-store purchases and online purchases. Mm-hmm. And that's how we do what we do. A special thanks to Burl for being a guest on the show and for being just such an inspiring person. She's newer to weaving than, than many of us have been weaving a long time. And she's made such an awesome impact in a very short amount of time. And I just want to send her a double high five <laughs> for that because I, I just think it's it's great. And it's such a beautiful thing to walk into a place and see people that are unfortunately often dismissed and not recognized for the talented people that they are and to see them professionally weaving. I mean, that's awesome. And I own some dish towels, as I mentioned in the show, and I absolutely love them. In fact, I'm in the process of changing my kitchen to match my towels. I also want to take a moment to thank my sponsors of the show. I have individuals who contribute to the show, and I really do appreciate that. Thank you all for your support and for your patience, because I know some of you have been listening to the show for a long time. I mean, I've been doing this since 2005. You know, I've seen podcasts spring up in the meantime and just get onto this regular, like, clockwork schedule with full sponsorship and all that. Sometimes I look at that and I think, geez, you know, like, man, why am I not doing that? And then I remember like, okay, well, I'm not doing that because I'm also teaching the next generation of journalists, which is really important work, really important work. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. There are times when I'm like, you know, I had a head start in this. And sometimes I feel like I'm playing catch up. So, but that's okay. Because if my help was needed in another spot, that was, I have no regrets about rendering that help. So um, this year I'm going to help myself a little more though. I am going to just get myself on a schedule because I feel better and I think I'm more inspiring to my students. I just have more real experience to talk about when I'm current and I'm actively publishing just as much or if not more than them. You know, I really want to get back to that. So um, that's the thing about being a displaced newspaper journalist. Uh, It kind of hits you psychologically a little bit (laughs) or actually quite a bit. And uh, and sometimes you feel like when you create your own media outlet, it, it doesn't seem as valid as you know the one you worked for for many years so I'm getting over that finally after many years and looking to just really build out what I can do on my own and maybe in some collaborations with some other creative folks out there so uh, get in touch if you want to work together I think that could be fun I am also just a little side note I have a lot of seconds around my house um, of my looms so I'm looking to clear those out so I'm going to be kind of just posting batches in my Etsy shop and they'll probably be for groupings of looms so I'll have some laser cut looms and a variety of sizes that have minor flaws like the looms will still work they just will have a flaw that I don't feel comfortable sending it out to somebody and if there's like some kind of weird like sometimes the 
the loom, uh, the wood will have like some kind of funky knot on it and it looks a little bit weird or there might be like a slight chip somewhere. And I sand these things down and they, again, they will still work. Uh, they won't be like broken, so you can't use them. They'll still work, but I'm looking to kind of clear those out so I don't have them piled around. So um, they'll be deeply discounted, but it'll be a chance for any of you who are thinking, you know, I really want to get those, but maybe, you know, the price point was a little bit out of the range for what you were budgeting. Well, this might be a good way to get your hands on a loom. And then it helps me recover some of my costs. And I put that back into my craft sanity projects. So that will be happening. So just keep an eye on the Etsy shop. I'll announce those on Instagram and uh, probably my website too. I feel like Instagram is kind of my quickest way of communicating. So if you're interested in keeping up to date on what's going on with, with me at the Craft Sanity headquarters, that's a good way to stay in contact. The other thing I want to announce is that I am also looking to write more on a regular basis. So I am looking to write not just about art and craft, but I want to write about the aging process, parenting, about fitness, this crazy relationship I have with fitness where I was super fit. You guys, some of you followed along in that journey when I was about 30, I ran a marathon and did a bunch of road races and I was really having a great time. And then, you know, I started having to drive my van around more. My job changed into something that wasn't fitness focused. So I wasn't recovering that beat anymore and got hard to justify being at the gym for an hour to two hours a day and running for two to three hours straight on a weekend. So um, you guys, I know some of you out there can understand this. So I find myself now in a situation where I'm trying to get back in shape again, this time at 42. And man, it is so much harder at 42 <laughs> to get in shape, but I'm making some headway. I joined a local um, group fitness gym in town and uh, I've been getting up at 20 after four and getting to the gym at five in the morning every day. Saturdays, I get to sleep in a little bit later, but I work out six days a week and it is a slow, slow, like slow as molasses kind of process this time. And I just bought a new scale and this is ridiculous, but I bought a new scale and it, I knew my old one was like kind of wacky and like a little weird, but when I stepped on the new scale, I was really happy because I'm like, oh yeah, I lost six pounds. This is great. Like over like a five week period or four week period. I don't know. I've lost track. And um, <laughs> I was like, okay, not, I'm still a long way to go, but that's great. Well, I step on this new scale and it basically tells me I'm, I was six pounds heavier than what, what I was on the old scale. So basically it's like a wash. Like I haven't lost any weight at all. <laughs> and it's like this cruel, cruel joke. But the truth is I was probably just you know, heavier to start with. And maybe it was better that I didn't find out then. And I don't know, this, it's ridiculous. But and my sister was trying to get me to buy another bathroom scale, like a new one. And I'm just like, are you kidding me? I, there's no way I can go through the emotional turmoil of like adapting to a third scale. Because if that scale says I'm even heavier, I'm going to lose my mind. So I'm going by inches and um, how my clothes fit and not getting into a fanatical you know, numbers kind of game here. So um, anyway, I have a lot to write about, a lot to share, and I'm hoping to have a little more of these conversations with you folks behind the scenes and, um, you know, just continue to make sense of this crazy time we're living in because it has been 
insane. And I, if I had to blame one person for some of my weight gain, I would, but that would be rude. And um, it would be me shirking my personal responsibility because bad things happen and it's up to me to process them appropriately. Wow, I've gotten so far from talking about weaving and crafting and all that. But anyway, I'll save it for the next thing I write. So if you're not signed up for the Craft Sanity newsletter, you might want to do that because I'm actually going to send them out this year. And they won't be just like, hey, buy my stuff. I'm hoping to give you some uh, links to podcasts and links to things that I'm finding really cool that I found on the internet. And primarily, though, I want the purpose of my newsletter to be me writing something for you. So that's what I'm looking to do. So I want to do more writing. And I realize that starting off, it probably will not be a lucrative venture at all for me, but I'm a writer and I must write. So if you have a topic or an idea, or you have a story you want to share that would be good for a column or a podcast, let me know, get in touch. I love experiential journalism where I go and do something or try something and write about it. So that's actually probably one of my favorite kinds of things to do. To go into people's studios and see what they do, hang with them for a while, and then write about it. I love doing that kind of stuff. So I'm going to see what I can do about getting that going again. All right. I've I, This has turned into a rambling, rambling. And I didn't even tell you I was going to do an after show. I just kind of just went right into it. It was kind of, you know, a little bit of trickery here. Sorry about that. I normally give you a warning and let some music play and give you a chance to, you know, just go do something else. But anyway, I guess I had a lot to say. It's been a while since I posted a show. Thanks so much for listening. And I hope all of your goals for 2019 become reality. Do the work. And I think we're all going to get there. I'll be back soon with another episode of the podcast. In the meantime, Craft Sanity, my friends, it works for me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Craft Sanity podcast. To support the show, click the Patreon link at CraftSanity.com to donate $1 a month or buy a handmade loom or magazine at CraftSanity.etsy.com. Same time.